is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That's the sticks from Cannonball Adley. I love that particular number. Good morning. This is Elliot Moss here on Jazz FM with Jazz Shapers. Jazz Shapers is the place I know you know this, but I'll say it anyway. It's where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And we bring alongside them a shaper from the world of business. I'm very pleased to say my business shaper today is Spencer Hyman. He's the co-founder of Coco Runners. You're going to be hearing lots about not just Coco Runners, but so many other things that this extraordinary man has done. He's also brought chocolate so we're going to be nibbling on that as well. In addition to hearing from Spencer, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your burgeoning business. And then we've got the music, and it's fantastic today. We're going to be hearing from Candace Springs, Albert King, the elder statesman, and this from Nora Jones. The super lovely sound of Nora Jones with Carry On. You're listening to Jazz Shapers and Spencer Hyman is my business shaper today and he is the co-founder of Coco Runners. You may not have heard of them now but by 10 o'clock you will know all about them. Um, And Spencer has done so many other things. I'm not even going to try and list them here but I'm sure we'll bump into the world of music, the world of toys, the world of digital, the world of art, everything. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Now, we're going to start at the end. Tell me about Coco Runners. Tell me what it is, why you founded it, and what you want to do with it. So Coco Runners is the home of the world's finest chocolate. And what we do is we run around the world finding chocolate makers everywhere from Brooklyn to Budapest, Warsaw to Woodstock, Copenhagen to Cleethorpes, Saigon to San Francisco. He's done that before. Done Definitely. this one before. Yeah. And, and, but the great thing is, is that just as there's been a craft beer revolution, there's been a craft coffee revolution... There's been just about a craft everything revolution. There's now a craft chocolate revolution happening. And chocolate is something which the Brits do lots of. So we actually spend more on chocolate in the UK than we do on books and music combined, almost times two. 25% of Brits eat chocolate every day, and 80% of us eat it at least once a week. But most of the chocolate we have is very different to what craft chocolate makers do. Because most of the chocolate we have is actually just cocoa solids, combined a bit with vegetable fat, palm oils, and all sorts of other things like whey powder. It's a little bit like a chicken nugget, if you like, whereas the sort of chocolate which these guys craft is much more like a roast chicken or a really great coffee. So it's not like instant coffee, it's much more like craft coffee, where the beans are carefully roasted, they're carefully ground. And in the case of chocolate, you can really taste the differences between, for example, you know, different regions of Vietnam or the way in which an American will make a chocolate from a Madagascan bean to the way in which a Frenchman will make a chocolate bar from that. And it's just an amazing, fun game to run around the world finding these makers and putting them in a box because until three or four years ago, there weren't many people doing it. There were two or three in the UK, 
maybe 20 or 30 in the States. Now there are over 300 in the States and there are over 30 or 40 in the UK. And our job is a bit like you DJ great music. We try and DJ great chocolates, which we put in a box through your letterbox once a month. Or you can buy them in great coffee shops and great wine shops. Now, that's a very interesting idea. But more than the idea, Spence, I'm intrigued by your exposition of the market and the opportunity and evidently your granular knowledge of chocolate. It strikes me immediately that you would be someone who uh, researches well, who quickly understands the left and the right, the up and the down of an industry, and then gets into it. We're going to cover this in a bit, but you've done lots of different things. Is it, and you, I believe you studied history at Oxford, and you learned Japanese, and you've worked at Amazon, you've done, you brought LinkedIn to the UK, I mean, all sorts of incredible stuff. Have you just got a busy mind, or is chocolate where you're settling? I'm definitely settling with chocolate. It's very rare you find a product which is not only tastes better, but it's much better for you and it's much better for the planet. And I'm getting old now, so this is definitely one that I'm really absolutely focused on. But I think there's a more general one underpinning it, which is you're right when you said about Amazon and stuff like that. The first wave of things which happened on the internet were all about people knowing what they wanted and searching for them and finding them. And that's what e-commerce is about. So physical retail is all about location, location, location. E-tail has traditionally been all around search, search, search. But there are whole categories of products which traditionally have been very difficult to sell well on the internet. And so wine would be an example, gardening would be an example. There are lots of examples where you need curation, you need some advice. And the internet isn't brilliant at that because it's basically been a search-driven business. And the reason why Simon and I got so into chocolate is, one, we saw that the chocolate movement was going to happen in the same way that craft beer did, in the same way that coffee did. But secondly, that it's intriguing from an e-commerce perspective to try and grab this new opportunity of what we sort of call curated e-commerce and try and figure out how to crack it. Stay with me for more from my business shape today. That's Spencer Hyman, the co-founder of Coco Runners. Time for some more music. This is Mr. Albert King with Kansas City. To Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. That was Albert King with Kansas City. Spencer Hyman's with me today, co-founder of Coco Runners, and a fascinating man because he knows a lot and he's done lots of lots of things in his life. You, you've you've mapped out why Coco Runners is where you're at right now, and I love that idea of curating alongside searching and finding and bringing together both the digital and the real world and I think that's probably where a lot of businesses are going tell me about your journey and how it's equipped you to be now a co-founder of a business I think I've been really lucky in life so I grew up partly in the north of England partly in the south went to a great university did management consultancy for a bit and then decided that I wanted to go into industry and I was really lucky that I got a company Hasbro who let me go and run a toy factory making cabbage patch dolls with a factory manager out in Thailand. And then they were keen on trying to figure out how to do more in Asia. So I ended up learning Japanese with them, going to Japan, being part of the very early video games revolution, doing things like sort of overseeing the team that translated Monopoly into Japanese, and then came back to the UK and was fortunate enough to get headhunted by Amazon and launch bits of Amazon software, video games, and electronics. And I think I was been really lucky just to be able to sort of have the confidence and the luck to be able to just do things and find people who are really generous and great. So one of the people who I really count as being a fantastic 
asset and fortunate person to have met, this guy called Reid Hoffman, who I met after Amazon when he was setting up LinkedIn. And he was actually the guy who put me into Last.fm. And I think I've been really lucky in learning from people like that. And um, I've just, I think, you know, if you were around 100 years ago, probably what you wanted to be doing was either be doing something like electricity or be doing cars or be doing something like some of the agrochemical stuff that happened then. I think what's been happening in the last 20 years is that a lot of things have been happening around technology. And just by luck, through being in Japan at the right time, I ended up in that business with a bunch of people who are very creative and very generous and very good at giving back. And I think that that's why I've been able to do a few things. Now, it's often, I mean, people with your, your background, and it's a, a strong academically, and then, as you said, you've, you've seen the world in many different ways and many different guises. That intellectually doesn't always translate into then someone being able to go and run stuff or set stuff up. Do, do, do you think it's been easy enough for you over the, over the number of years? I know you've had lots of interests in ventures and so on. How has that bridge happened? How have you gone from the technical, intellectual understanding through to, okay, now we've got a business to run and logistics of setting that up? Because they are quite different, aren't they? They are. I think the main thing is to learn how to fail super fast and learn how to be willing to take not risks, but experiments, and just learn what works, learn what doesn't work, and carry on with that. And I think that that's probably the most difficult bit to get through. And that's the reason why having business partners works so well, because it's someone who honestly will say, when do you give up on this? When do you keep on going? Because a lot of the times it looks as if it's going to fail, and it doesn't fail. But I think probably the most important thing is to work with people who you respect and learn to fail super fast, learn to experiment wisely, and fail fast. I mean, I've failed in just about everything I've ever done. I was going to say, you look like a failure, but yeah, so I've failed your, a humongous amount. I, well, I mean, we, we've tried lots of different things with chocolate. So one of the things we tried with chocolate, which you would have thought would work, is we wanted to try and get chocolate to go viral. So what we did was, in the box, which you get four great bars of, we put two little squares or two little bears, and we called them Share the Bear. And so the idea was, is if you like this chocolate, you would give it to a friend and you'd share it and you're nodding your head and it's quite right that you doesn't just work. eat it exactly right yeah. and we failed very fast it took us about three months to work this one out and we've been ever since then trying to find other ways to get people to encourage people to share this great chocolate stay with me to find out how um moving on from sharing the bear uh, failing spencer hyman has actually gone on and done some really um fantastic stuff with his new business we got the latest travel in a couple of minutes and before that some words of wisdom from our program partners at mish for your business my name is Andrew Remington, and I'm a corporate partner at Mishkondorea. Uh, I'm often asked by clients uh, what are the key issues to make sure that they do not lose sight of when entering into negotiations. Uh, one of the key components is understanding what your bottom line is. Um, very often clients will enter into a deal um, knowing that they need to do that deal at, at any cost. And very often that can be quite damaging because they don't know what their own limitations are and what, what restrictions they need to impose upon themselves before walking into the deal. So understanding what your limitations are, empathising with what the other side's position is, but realising that ultimately if you cannot achieve your bottom line, that th there is another day and you should walk away from the transaction. And very often the transaction may come, come back uh, at some later date, but only if the deal terms are right for both sides. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday morning, I'm very lucky because I get to meet someone who's shaping the world of business. If you've missed some of the 250 almost people that I've had uh, the privilege of meeting, then you can go into iTunes and find a whole bunch there. FT.com is another destination. CityM.com, one more. And just for fun, British Airways, if you happen to be flying in the near future. Spencer Heim is my business shaper today, co-founder of Coco Runners, the man that brought LinkedIn to the UK. I said it there in my kind of voice. I was one of the team who brought LinkedIn. Of course you were. I would never say that. No, no, but 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 part of it, and as you said, um, someone who's been on and off or involved in in all things digital and how and how the world of business starts to connect with with that. This business now is um, quite tactile, Spencer. It's kind of quite s- sensual too. It, it is sensual. We, we, this is the erotic moment here there in, in the in the middle of jazz shapers. A little earlier, we were you were sharing some chocolate with me. What buzzes you about this stuff? What buzzes you about the business that you're trying to create? So I think there's three different aspects which buzz me about it. One aspect is the people who grow and craft chocolate are amazing. They really believe it's a different product and they're really passionate about why they do it. So there's a wonderful company called Original Beans who every time Philip Kaufman sells a bar, he actually plants a tree in the rainforest. So a lot of people go into cacao because it is one of the most amazing crops to preserve the rainforest and preserve the planet. And the other people who we work with as a whole are absolutely fantastic. And the team we have at Coco Runners with Lizzie and Angelica and Sui and Catherine, and in particular my business partner Simon, who we really, you know, that is the key to me is having that partnership. So I think the people are one of the things which keeps it buzzing. The second one of which is it is really, really fantastic to find a product which actually people really enjoy as much as they do and is good for them. So everybody sort of jokes and everybody sort of thinks, oh, if I eat chocolate, it's going to be really bad for me. But actually, if you have this sort of chocolate, it's actually really good for you because human beings like having something sweet at the end of a meal or at a certain time. And, you know, it's like, what do you have after you've had a donut? Another donut. Whereas (laughs) if you have a good piece of chocolate, you savor it and you don't end up scoffing the whole bar. You'll share it with a friend and you'll have it over a couple of different days. And then I think, you know, the third angle to it is that it's a wonderful opportunity just to, again, work with and see a bunch of different people in other related industries, in the coffee industry, in the wine industry, etc. And that's phenomenal. Um, how did you get going at the beginning? I mean, was there a whole funding question? And, and if so, uh, what convinced people that they should back you? So I think how we got going was, and, and this is the difference between wave one of e-commerce, which was all transactional and search-based, and this wave. In the old days, if you were launching, so when we launched Amazon software and video games, electronic stores, we could rely on search to bring us lots of traffic. And we did a few other innovative things. With chocolate, nobody really searches for chocolate. I mean, the chocolate I've given you, whether it be Omnom or Maru or Fruition or Menacal, people really don't know this, so they don't go out searching for it. So what we actually had to do was we had to go to shows. So we do a lot of corporate tastings. We do a lot of tastings at places like Prefrock Coffee, Loki in Birmingham, Great Western Wines. And we started literally by going to chocolate shows, going to wine shows, going to coffee shows and getting people to taste the chocolate and selling the boxes through that. And then we would work with people to build email lists and email people. And slowly but surely, we built it up into a reasonable subscription business and into a pretty good business whereby we actually work with partners again like Prefrock or like Colonna and Small or Great Western Wines. And they act as chocolate DJs now. Stay with me for more about Chocolate DJs and the proliferation of the Coco Runner's dream. And it's a dream which is becoming a bit bit more than that. Time for more music. This is The Elder Statesman and the thoughtful Montreux Sunrise. (laughs) 
That was Montreux Sunrise from The Elder Statesman. Spencer Hyman, co-founder of Coco Runners, is my business shaper today. We've been talking about um, the wave two of the digital uh, commerce world, and we've been talking about just kind of hard work, actually, that, that goes behind getting people to enjoy the new prop- products that you're bringing them. Is it, you know, we, I, I talked earlier about how smart you obviously are. Um, I'm sorry, I'm he, he, he seem pretty smart um, but it looks like there's a lot of hard work involved over here Spencer w- what advice do you give to people who are also in this early stage of a business I mean is it more hard work than it is brilliant ideas or is it about a balance of the two so I, the advice I give and I think one of the nice things about having done this a few times is that, that, that you've sort of failed enough to know the advice is definitely find yourself a great partner I mean that I cannot stress how important the partnership is and having the right team around you is. I think the second one of which is back to the experiment fast and fail is make sure it's a product which actually people are going to like. I mean, one of the key things for us was if you're going to basically make this work, we have got to make certain that people really do believe this chocolate tastes better. And then we've got to find a way to get people to know that it tastes better. So we have definitely proven the first. If you give this chocolate any of the chocolates we've got here to most people, they can taste the difference. And it really does work that way. Then actually in terms of actually how do you identify the route to market, that to me is the biggest challenge. What really makes in the tech world a startup work or not work is how quickly they can acquire customers and retain customers. And no matter how brilliant the idea and how wonderfully important it is, if you can't do what, for example, radio did for music, if you can't get customers, hold on to them, acquire them easily then the business is really going to struggle have you had a point in, in any of the times that you've been doing you talk about failing and obviously you got used to failure and you realize fa- failure isn't a negative it's actually the, the way that you, you learn has there ever been a point where you've gone enough i'm done i'm not doing this anymore yeah there have been a couple of points when i've done that i definitely got that way in asia there was definitely a point in thailand when i was making cabbage patch dolls that i just knew that actually running or being an assistant factory manager and running the operation side of it was not what I wanted to be doing anymore. And what did you do about it? Um, I went to go and talk to my bosses back in Europe, and they said, okay, um, we think that Thailand's quite close to Japan. It's really not very close. It's like about eight hours away by a plane. But anyway, I wasn't going to disadvantage them of that. And we want to do some stuff in Japan, and this will be more sales and marketing. And so could you go and learn Japanese? And so they let me go and learn Japanese for a year. And I was very lucky. And again, that's that's sort of where I did that. But I think there is a point at which you do have to sort of say, "Is it? Is it? Can I actually do this? Is this going to make me happy?" Also, you've got to think about your family a lot too. I think that's super important, though. And I couldn't do this without my family. Stay with me for my final chat with Spencer today. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Candace Springs. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Candace Springs with Novocaine Heart. 
Spencer Heim is my business shaper just for a few more minutes and I hope they'll be sweet and tasty like your chocolate Spencer thank you very much I've been thinking about that for at least three seconds um yes your maker's chocolate and that's really the point about the maker's chocolate you have a wide web of people that you're now involved with different suppliers and you can call them partners or whatever but different people that, that that say here's my chocolate here's my wares you have different delivery mechanisms literally around the world that you need to ensure are in place for you to be able to send product to x y and z person that's out based out in the states or in europe or wherever else it might be that notion of partnership and of ensuring that the people on the ground, both creating the chocolate for you and sharing the chocolate with your end customers, very important group of people. How have you identified them and how do you keep them happy and involved? So there are two. There's very much the customers on the one side and then there's the makers and the growers on the other. So the makers and the growers, we get to know anybody who we bring to Coco Runners pretty well. We don't always get a chance to physically meet them. We hope to when we go to chocolate shows in different parts of the world. We sometimes go out and meet them there, but we always get to know them. So any bar that you'll find on Coco Runners, it's always the product of what we call direct trade. So in any case, the maker will be working directly with the farmer. And that's critical because if you want to make great cacao, great chocolate, you need to understand the farmer. You need to work with the farmer to actually make sure that the beans ferment the right way, that they're crafted when they're being dried the right way etc and so actually getting to know the makers getting to know the growers is unbelievably important to us and we literally now run around the world trying to find people who grow great beans and we ask them who they're selling to so we can identify them so for example great guy called Bertil Ackerson another great guy called Simran who's from Tanzania we actually asked them you know who are you selling to and through that we've discovered all sorts of people in everywhere from Australia through to Colombia who are crafting these beans or South Africa. So that's one group. The second group, customers, we meet with our customers all the time. I passionately believe in actually doing physical tastings and trying to engage with our customers as much as we want. One thing we'd love to do more of actually is use more social media, use more video so that actually we can do this more remotely and actually use some of the tools and techniques which other people are doing, I think much better than we are at the moment in, for example, the wine industry, holding virtual tastings Mm. and that sort of area. But I think what's important is that I think that in food as an industry, we've seen a lot of sort of narrowing down and sort of bunching down in terms of taste and in music to an extent too. And what I love about chocolate is that we will basically be able to give you a bar of chocolate, which, you know, because it's dried near a fires, because in Papua New Guinea or the Solomon Isles, it's they can't have enough sun to dry the beans in the sun. It'll be much more smoky. And that's a flavor which you just wouldn't normally get in a supermarket brand or you know you'll you'll enjoy how an american will craft a bean differently you know how someone like brian graham from fruition will do it differently from someone like pralu in france and that's just the fun of it and the experimentation and it's like with music you want difference because variety is super important and variety i was going to say for you personally has been super important too it's not like you've done one thing or two or three you seem to thrive on doing many my, my last question just before we run out of time and ask you about your song choices the future and your focus on this business i'm assuming it's 100 um, percent for how long have you got a i know what i'm going to do i'm going to create this thing i'm going to disappear or is this more than that for you no this is for simon and i this is really more i mean we really genuinely believe that this is a product which tastes better it's better for you it's better for the farmers on the planet and it's a huge industry it's five billion pounds just in the uk and we're just scratching the surface of it and you know, maybe we'll do some other food products too. Maybe we'll do some other areas where you need curation. But I really want to carry on working at doing this and working through 
that, but at the same time, helping other people. I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate in my life. And one of the things I passionately believe and which makes the tech industry works is that you reach out and you help other people and you support them and you try and mentor them and you try and, if you can, invest in them or whatever else you can do to work with them. I mean, I really believe that that's the most important ethic that you learn. That's a nice final thought. Spencer, thank you. It's been great to meet you. Thank you for the chocolate. You're not leaving with it, just no, to be clear. Not. Uh, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why you choose so it's it? It's by it? Nina Simone, and it's because I've always loved her music. And this one means a huge amount to me and my daughter and our family, which is I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. Perfect. Here it is just for you. Thank you so much. That was Nina Simone, I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free, the song choice of my business shaper today, Spencer Hyman. He said how important it was to fail and fail quickly and learn from those experiences and make sure you experiment so that you can actually understand what will work and what won't work. He talked about marrying, searching and finding with curation, and that's really at the heart of his understanding of how the digital economy works. And he talked about the importance of generosity and how that informs how he treats people both within his business and all the suppliers that help him create his cocoa runners and how it will succeed in the future. Really good stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place, 9am next Saturday here on Jazz FM. Stay with us right now because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs>